Hello and welcome back to DF Direct. I'm John Lindemann and this week I am hosting. This is episode 27 or week 35, depending on whether you ask Rich or Audie. Uh, and it's important to note that Audie is in fact one of two people with me here today. How is it going, John? You were so missed last week as you were on vacation. Yes, that's right. I was out, though I had other work to take care of, so it wasn't as relaxing as I would like, but uh, we're back, and I think this is my first time hosting one of these where you're a guest on the show, so... Well, you gotta keep the beast in check. Yes, exactly. We have to do that. But of course, uh, we're all over here jumping on the bed and causing chaos because Rich is out on assignment, you could say, and instead, as usual, we have good old Alex Batalia. John, I'm really happy to be here. And before we start this amazing episode, let me just say that this is most definitely the first time we've recorded this intro. There's going to be no continuity errors throughout this entire video. For example, this little shaving mark I have on my face right here, this is definitely not gonna disappear midway through the video. But anyway, gentlemen, we have a number of topics to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Dead Space stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about Psychonauts 2, about the, the WADA grading situation, and a whole lot more. And of course, we'll take questions from our Patreon supporters, as always. Uh, so, let's kick things off by talking about the Dead Space remake. So, this week, EA Motive showed us a first glimpse of the new Dead Space remake, and firstly, I gotta say, hats off to the team for this. It's always a risk showing a game uh, this early in development, basically showing gray box maps and some of the features they're working on, but I really appreciate this, and I, I really hope that they find success with this and we start to see more sort of information like this from developers in the future. Um, but I feel like the response was pretty good, but I think Alex, you have a lot to say on this topic as well. Yeah, essentially they were showing off the uh, technical founding and their initial like uh, pushes in art direction and materials and things like that for the Dead Space remake. Uh, first showing off a hallway section that is from the early part of the game and online you can find uh, really nice comparison screenshots of that exact same hallway in the original game as well as in the remake. And one of the big differences you'll see uh, just initially on Isaac himself are like the physically based materials now adding a lot in like the copper of his helmet it and things like that. Uh, but in the environment itself, um, there, there's no like really great evidences of ray tracing here, but I'm, they're using a bounced lighting system, which is really interesting where the first game didn't really have any bounce lighting. So it's kind of looks like of that era, I would call it, where there was only like like at the best baked ambient occlusion into the environment. So it was very gray in those areas where there's no where there's no direct lighting. But here there's just one uh, motivated light in the scene, but it's bouncing all along the hallway in comparison. So it just like really enhances the mood and uh, the realism of the materials in the scene. Alex, I think this almost is like the antithesis to the whole issue of the downgrade fiasco that we've had to uh, deal with many times before. You know, you look at stuff like Watchdogs and stuff in the past, and the issue there is that they, they actually did show something that looked beyond what they could hope to deliver. But I think by going in the opposite direction and showing stuff this early, uh, the players will only ever see things getting better. And it creates a very different, uh, more of an honest conversation from the beginning where I think prospective buyers kind of see this and they're like, oh, wow, okay, that's what they're doing. And, you know, by the time the game comes out, it should look dramatically different and better. So it kind of like sidesteps that whole issue of showing off something too early that looks beyond what the final product is. Yeah, it's a really cool scenario where 
they're going to be pushing only next-gen platforms, uh, which I'm really also, this is not cross-platform uh, or cross-gen, sorry. Uh, so that's that's really good for uh, people invested in uh, these now current-gen games as well as uh, PC, uh, is that they can push the technology to enhance uh, the gameplay experience. And that's like the zero-G thing they're going to talk about uh, where they kind of showed off where it's, I think it's taking a bit more from like the Dead Space 2, 3 direction and less Dead Space 1. And as well as the, the dismemberment system where uh, instead of um, just uh, breaking at specific points uh, and based upon where you shot, it actually has like a kind of like flesh system where the flesh first has to disintegrate and then you have to shoot through bone. Uh, so it's going to be... It's going to be different, and I really applaud that, uh, that they're going to take some changes uh, with the game's uh, primary direction in this, as well as being, uh, at least I think visually, uh, really top tier, even in this early showing. And I'm just like, John, I'm so happy we're seeing a AAA developer showing off what will be, in its eventuality, a full AAA experience, uh, showing off such an early thing. And presumably wanting to get a bit of audience feedback on it because you know the whole point of remaking a game is to uh invigorate those fans that of the original that's why you do it as well as bring in new people so you don't want to anger uh so many of the old fans so i hope that's what this is all about yeah it looked interesting the new dismemberment uh, system and yeah, it's something we actually did talk about when we did that Dead Space video a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the three of us uh, actually played through it in kind of in anticipation of this. Was that, you know, when you're doing a remake of something like this that has such a loyal following, first of all, but also the original game is still quite fantastic and holds up quite well. You kind of have to, when you're a new team, taking on this franchise you kind of have to introduce new things and take it in a direction that is different rather than just you know polishing and shining up textures and then putting it out again and saying well you know here you go it's the same game again and yeah, the differences are you know not that much from 10 15 years ago because uh, we're kind of entering that kind of space of the video games industry now so yeah, uh, I was very interested in what I'm seeing here. And what uh, to what you were saying, Alex, earlier about opening this conversation early. Um, in cases like this, it's so important because, as mentioned, it has already a pretty you know strong following. People have a lot of emotions surrounding the game, and it allows them to join them on this journey, and maybe not directly influence, but at least feel like they can be heard in this process, which is something that has been lacking with a lot of AAA development for years now, is that it's highly secretive, it's highly hidden until, you know, a certain time right before launch, and then we get it, and I think we lack a little bit of attachment to these products when we just simply say, well, this is coming sometime, and then here it is. I, I think it's an expectation a lot with, with games today where people expect something certain, and when it doesn't offer that, uh, they are disappointed. And that's what happens when something's cloaked in secrecy for too long. Uh, whereas I do feel like seeing games earlier uh, in development in this way, it kind of helps build and temper expectations. And also, you know... As far as feedback goes, it's not that you want to necessarily build on, you know, build from the the general audience feedback per se, but there can be some valuable feedback there. Like if you show something and the audience reaction is really strongly against it, 
that at least gives your team the chance to stop and think about that for a second and be like, okay, maybe this is an issue. I don't know. I, I feel like there, there, there could be a lot of like, like, like a serious win here by doing it this way. And I hope it pans out. It's not uncommon either though. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't too uncommon back in the day, at least. You're, you're to totally right. I mean, think know. about uh, those like the famous demos of stuff like the the Doom Three reveal and stuff like that, where they show this really early stuff, but it's enough to get everybody talking and excited. And uh, that I think that stuff is really interesting. Well, look at something like Halo Infinite right now, right, where there is too much confusion around the certain aspects of the product where I think it, a little bit more open dialogue on the development might have helped it a little bit. I actually think the problem there is that, I guess this is actually kind of an illustration of where the problem can come from because the game was sort of shrouded in secrecy for a while and we only had these tiny little teasers at E3 and then when they showed the game proper, it clearly wasn't what people had hoped or expected. And it just Could led to this. Earlier, though. It, was, it was like, what's that? They they did, just shown it that's earlier. the problem is they did show it earlier but they only showed those like visually stunning teasers rather and and i feel like if they would have been more upfront about what was going on from the beginning with the game and everything i don't know things could have gone differently for them do you know if what engine it's using is it frostbite or is it something else it is indeed frostbite uh and the yeah so uh we already do have confirmation that they're going to use ray tracing but the footage that they showed off here uh from what i understand reading online and what i just saw there was ssr it wasn't rt reflections in the footage we saw as well as the fact that there was um the the global illumination system according to someone uh, that used to work at frostbite uh is apparently the same system that was developed for battlefield 5 and need for speed so it's like a pro base system it's not some sort of like ray trace gi uh, that we've seen recently in frostbite but still i think even with those early you know early days this is the tech that they're showing the game off with now i still think it looks really really good i mean this is pretty awesome for showing so alex what's your thoughts then on the, that other game that's coming out from the original dead space developers like this is kind of interesting because you now have a race between these two products that i guess will target the same audience and kind uh, yes. of the same atmosphere right yeah, the Callisto Protocol and not the Poseidon Adventure, the as I will the Poseidon always say. Uh, did the not film, make that yes. mistake last time. Definitely did not. Um, yeah, that's going to be interesting where I think we're going to have a situation where Dead Space, uh, due to this remake, uh, well, it'll, it'll be constrained by the design goals and uh, atmosphere of the original. That's not a bad thing. That's what this is all about. Uh, but I think the Callisto Protocol, uh, also made by Dan Schofield or Schofield, I don't know how he pronounces his name. I keep forgetting. Um, but uh, I think that'll be a little bit more adventurous and a bit more genre pushing, where it'll push the horror genre forward and maybe in a really interesting direction. But that's all things we'll have to wait and see. I, I hope I get to cover both. I hope I get to cover both. All right, all right, gentlemen. I think we've uh, had a lot of things to say about this. It looks great. I'm excited for it. And obviously, you know, when it comes closer to release, we'll be taking a look at the game and probably talking about it going forward. But I'd say we should move on to the next topic. Okay, next up on the list, actually, I, I want to talk about the, the Wata grading situation first here. And this one, so I guess... Did you guys talk about it on the last week's direct? I didn't get a chance to see that. No, so you didn't... we wanted to wait for you. So that was fresh. That was yes. fresh. So I guess it was, was last fresh. week. There was that video that came out from Carl Yops, who had obviously done some serious research into the situation. Essentially, Wata uh, is this grading service like the VGAs. The idea is you you give them like a an old video game that's 
in good condition, presumably. Uh, and they essentially give it a grade, you know, so like a, a sealed copy that's in mint condition could have like a higher grade and then they encase it in this plastic and you get it back and then, you know, so on and so forth. And actually the grade, the cost of getting it graded does seem to vary based on the, the, the quality of the specimen. So if you have a higher quality one, you're going to spend more. But here's the thing. They've been selling these things or people have these and we've seen some crazy sales this year through heritage auctions which is connected to wada it seems um they're at least they're they're kind of in cahoots so to speak uh <laughs> in bed in bed perhaps yes and well we saw some games being sold for obscene amounts of money that were wada graded specimens and it definitely made the news at the time but uh it wasn't exciting for us and i was kind of like well that's not good but it turns out there's actually some some more insidious stuff going on behind the scenes. And again, you'll want to watch Carl's video, I guess, to get more details on it. But it does kind of dive into uh, some of the people behind this were involved in, in prior sort of like bubbles related to collectibles back in the 80s. They've been in trouble before. Uh, so on and so forth. That's interesting. But what happened this week then is a uh, journalist, Seth Abramson, Abramson. Journalist mm -hmm. Seth Abramson uh, put up an article that turns out he'd actually bought three games from one of the co-founders of WADA. And there's a this is an issue because in the past, WADA has maintained that people related to the business are not allowed to buy and sell games. Uh, but it turns out this is false, right? This creates a real conflict of interest here because let's say he has a, a game. He can get it graded technically you would think you would have the the like who decides what game uh what grade a game can get right i guess wada does this so all of the games that he's been selling seem to be very highly rated uh which it's in his best interest to have them very highly rated and so it just starts to create this whole bubble around it audi what do you think i, I want to hear more from you on this one because it, it's such a complex situation i can't just sum this up quickly here yeah, so we should probably note that this is all allegedly still. I mean, this is based on YouTube reporting, and uh, but it is, uh, and also the journalist you mentioned has done some incredible work this week to kind of corroborate a lot of the uh, YouTube information. So that's right. It, it is important to note that this is just like the current situation that we're commenting on, but we're not making any accusations here yet, obviously, because uh, we don't have the, we can't do that. <laughs> uh, so as you mentioned though, there's, I mean, these people have been connected to the coin market bubble in the eighties that, uh, you know, uh, had some convictions attached to it. And things like the WADA stuff and VGA to a certain extent as well. VGA not being uh, Jeff Keighley's uh, award ceremony, but VGA, the grading company, uh, is that you don't really have any population transparency in terms of like how many copies are out there. Uh, of course, uh, the games that were sold for a high price, as you mentioned, was stuff like a, a Mint Super Mario or a sealed Super Mario 64, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, we've seen that they've populated their auction site with like Spider-Man for Atari 2600, which um, notably isn't really that rare. It's important to note, Audie, you mentioned the population reports. That's something that's typical in other in or industries or hobbies. This is I normal, guess, where, yes. Right, that's uh, typical. They're withholding this information. And the reason why this kind of 
makes me kind of give them a bit of a side eye is that, you know, my dad's a World War II historian and deals with auctions a lot for things like memorabilia and things like this. And even, you know, this is very strict stuff. Uh, so yeah. transparency is key. And when you don't have that uh, for something like this, where millions of dollars are being thrown around uh, within a small circle, uh, definitely is uh, quite uh, worrying. I think um, what's been a little bit frustrating for me reading all this, obviously it's frustrating reading that this is going on because it's our hobby and we don't buy expensive stuff and whatnot. No. Just because we buy games we want to play, but it still affects the hobby. And a lot of people have kind of come out and said, well, why does this matter? I mean, it doesn't affect us. We don't buy graded games. But definitely does affect, because even here in the cold north where I live, I've seen people bring up the fact on their Facebook comments and even uh, when I was with my father uh, the other day at like a secondhand store talking about retro games, people brought up the fact that, oh, I sold this Super Mario sold for a million. I got this <laughs> copy here that's bitten by a dog. It goes for 500k. It's like, okay, well, that doesn't really help anyone, does it? When people think that... I don't have the, the seal on it, but because that sealed one sold for, you know, a million dollars or two million, I think it was, uh, then my copy must be worth, you know, a hundred thousand at least. It's like at that point, there's no hobby anymore. This stuff yeah. starts to, like, to affect, <laughs> exactly, it affects what people perceive the value of games to be and it causes market prices to start to go up in a way that's... Uh, not great artificially it's, not it's art, exactly it's artificial like the the games right now especially that are the center of this are all common games yes. um you know where the really rare stuff uh a lot of it you know that i can understand rarity contributing to a higher price uh and that's something we would know of if we had population reports of course but we don't but we do know that at least the games they are selling are not rare yeah, that's basically it. Uh, the thing that, I mean, I don't collect as many retro games as you guys have or anything like that. Uh, but the thing that really just ticks me off about this entire thing is just the fact that the, the people that are involved in this and the artificial raising of prices is not because there's a there's a wealth of collectors who are really interested and the, the prices as a result of rarity going up, like real rarity. Uh, but it's actually just a pure speculation aspect where people who are buying into these games are maybe buying like timeshare equivalents into these games and things like that, where it's all about investing a certain amount of money into a rare collectible, maybe not even rare, uh, based upon the, the actual games that are being sold for this amount of money, and then uh, just speculating on it and getting money back after it's sold again. I just find that really detestable because this is this is a hobby uh, that we had until date. Till date, I would say was just from those weirdos like us who are interested in games and playing them. Uh, and this is all coming from sort of just some really, really creepy and gross. I want to make money uh, kind of angle out of speculating. And I always dislike that when that happens in any aspect of society. And to see it enter what I consider otherwise a generally really friendly and great community of retro games ugh, just disgust me this is you know it goes into like avenues like nfts recently and all this stuff um and it really isn't healthy for something like this to become an investment in a sense that should still be fun in hobbies um 
and there's definitely rare games where you can make a case for like you know super rare stuff like a rendering ranger r2 okay there's only like a few thousand copies so i understand it's always going to be at a high price but um in terms of like stuff like this it's really just kind of scummy um i don't like it and there's some great reporting going on luckily to uncover this so i hope there is change it should be noted though that um, people like pat country has been apparently talking about this for years so um i saw that a lot of sites put up these articles mentioning oh the two million dollar uh super mario just sold and i hope uh if anything that this leads to people who get these types of press uh, releases and whatnot just uh, so just google it just google it once before you put up that article and just like yeah, who are these people uh I agree that, uh, probably a good idea <laughs> yeah so it's a slimy situation all around it's disappointing uh i i don't know what will come out of this what will happen we're still kind of in the middle of it so i know i will be keeping an eye on it and posting about it in the future because uh yeah i mean we're big video game collectors so uh but i collect to play not to just uh have shrink wrapped copies trapped in a sealed box so uh I have a lot of shrink wrap bubsy games so, well, that's okay. That's different. You know, they all have different. the grade perfect. Hmm. I was making a cat joke, Alex. That's probably going to do it for this topic, but I will say we'll be back next week, actually, with a... Um, Wait, this is the whole show? No, this is not the whole show. Oh. But next week, there's another topic that, I, that I've caught wind of that's unrelated to this, but it's equally sleazy in the, in the sort of game space. Uh, that we're also going to talk out talk about at length once all that is out because uh, it's also not a good thing and it does affect uh, a lot of a lot of uh, things out there on the market. Well, we'll get to that next week, uh, but for now, let's move on to the next section. All right, so for the next topic, this is a quick one, but Sony announced that they have a new PlayStation showcase lined up uh, for next week, which they say quote unquote is a look into the future of PS5. Um, I assume they'll be showing obviously new games that they've been working on um but i guess we'll have to wait and see what what do you think audi what kind of good stuff do you think we'll see this time no shenmue 4 will not be there but uh no we we have to start dreaming about that game now for another 14 years (laughs) um i don't know what uh i don't know if there's any specific examples of what i'm expecting to see but i just hope to see some new ps5 stuff because uh it's been almost a year now uh, and we're kind of still sitting on a lot of cross-gen games uh we haven't really seen anything blow you know the ps5 out of the water so to speak so i'm just kind of like uh, waiting for a stream of good new games uh, but i do like this new effort from sony it's not new necessarily but this uh, nintendo direct style presentations uh they've been doing a fairly good job at them uh lately as i've watched them so uh if anything i would be curious to see if they're going to mention anything about vr in the future oh right yeah so because i do know that you know sony's still very much in that game so it'd be interesting to see if they mention anything about vr on ps5 
That'd be interesting. Uh, one thing I'm thinking I'm thinking is going to be the new, the new God of War there. We haven't seen anything from Sony Santa Monica in a while. I imagine they're going to show off perhaps The Last of Us uh, Part Two's multiplayer component, which I'm pretty sure is a dedicated sing, you know, standalone game at this point. Isn't that what it is? I assume that's what it is. Um, I think that's what it is. And then I imagine uh, we'll also see the next iteration of Final Fantasy uh, as well. Oh, uh, 16. 16, which also we've only oh. seen once before, if I recall. Uh, so I think we'll see that. And uh, I think that's about it. That's all really what I expect. That, that's also quite a, you know, it's quite a nice showing if they showed all that. I would like to see maybe something... Uh, from Capcom, some Street Fighter or something. I don't know. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm. <laughs> Street Fighter Six. Yeah, potentially Street Fighter Six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here's me hoping. I know Audie's going to disagree with me, but I'm hoping they go to a different art style. They switched art styles between four and five. Maybe they'll do a different one this time again. So it's not that I disagree necessarily, because I know it's not um, a universally loved style. But I do think that Street Fighter V has, especially in motion, looks absolutely incredible. Uh, it's just, and this has been the case for Street Fighter for a while now. Even Street Fighter Four, which, if you just snapshot it, yeah, it looks pretty terrible. The proportions are all over the place. But in motion, it's a really beautifully animated game. So I don't mind it so much. So it can be a bit deceiving those games with the heavy black outlines and stuff. I'd like to see more first party stuff god of war gran turismo et oh yeah that's FF16. right oh, gran turismo i haven't even thought about that like, <laughs> yeah that could yeah. be there uh we I, haven't seen I, that since launch or well since pre-launch sorry yeah exactly and obviously the vr stuff that's very exciting uh there has been a rumor that sony has been building some new japan studios so i'm curious to see if well, yeah eventually we'll see some fruits from that but because uh, you know the actual Japan Studios seems to be uh, pretty uh, dead in water right now. All right, next up then, uh, I want to talk briefly about Psychonauts 2. Psychonauts 2 when? Yeah, exactly. And that's, so the reason, so I, this is absolutely a game I would have done a video on, if not for the fact that I was away for a week. And it turns out that actually stepping away for a week from this job is often difficult because you miss out on some stuff that you want to cover. But at the same time, because I didn't cover it, I got to just play it and enjoy it without the pressure of actually capturing every version and going through version differences. And uh, I love this game. I mean, I am a huge fan, of course, of the original and, you know, the stuff that Tim Schafer worked on at LucasArts. And uh, I love Double Fine stuff in general, but Psychonauts has always been one of my favorite games that they did. And, you know, this game has been in development for a very, very long time. Uh, but I'm so happy that the way it worked out is they essentially made, as far as I'm concerned, a perfect sequel that that captures everything I loved about the original game, but improves upon it in numerous ways. Uh, this is a game that's so good. I, I'm, I'm almost positive. I can confidently say this is going to fall somewhere on my 2021 game of the year list that I will produce at the end of the year because it's just wonderful. So... First of all, you know, it's just this imaginative roller coaster ride through the, I guess, you know, through the brains, right? You're diving into the brains, but the whole, 
the areas you explore the hub world now you know you're in psychonauts hq eventually uh there's some other even more interesting and unexpected locales you'll visit and spend time in and that stuff's great um but just like each of the individual worlds is unbelievable there's the one that uh jack black is involved in where it's like this uh I guess hippie style kind of thing and it's literally you recover a brain that's been in storage and you're essentially reactivating the brain and all of its senses and the way this is visualized and he was a a, a rock musician right and all the senses like are different instrument players and it's all about sort of bringing them back and getting the concert going again uh, but I mean it literally starts from like a black empty void with you talking to a ball of light to after everything you go through it's like a full length like uh like kind of concert with jack black singing on the vocals like which is crazy psychedelic colors and visuals and just camera work and just the whole thing or that's amazing or like there's a game show where you're like literally like have to make recipes by jumping around all over the set and juggling like all right the egg needs to go into the 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 uh what is it the the hot tub so it boils and then I have to go get this vegetable over here and chop it up and you have to figure out the order to do it in to get to, to meet the time limit. And then you give it to your judges and there's like ads in between that. And then you end up like fighting the dudes in the ads. And it's just, I don't know. I, I I'm getting, I'm just kind of rambling here because just thinking about the game gets me excited because this is the kind of creative stuff that I just love to see. It's, it's a mix of just like, wild ideas great storytelling fun platforming gameplay uh and just like just an incredible presentation there's some critiques you could level like the combat for instance is nothing special but it wasn't really in the original game either but thankfully that's not like the focus so uh it's t totally fine but man so i played it on xbox series x because uh that gives you the 120 hertz mode um in 1440p so I, you know, it feels awesome at 120 hertz. And that's, you know, kind of the way I preferred to play it. I have not checked out the game running on any other machine. So I, I actually don't know how it compares. There is a statistics board up there where it sounds like, you know, the series consoles both get 120 hertz modes or 60 modes, depending. The last gen Xboxes are all 30 FPS. Uh, I think the last gen PS PlayStation consoles are 30 but then PS5 is the PS4 version running in backwards compatibility, but with 60 FPS. And then I guess there's the PC version, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. There's a P which, you know, it's an Unreal Engine 4 game, um, but it's just, man, they do, they do so much awesome stuff with playing with perspective and, and just camera angles. Like at, at one point you're in this like library kind of section because you're in the because of who you're exploring their their brain essentially and when you go you go into these books and you're in the books and literally platforming across the words and then the pages turn and you're like you know wall jumping off of like sentences and weird like pencil drawings and it's just they're constantly just changing things in such fun interesting ways or like there's like a uh what it's almost like a uh new york crime drama like a like a noir kind of story where you're like inside like uh uh just man i yeah i'm sorry i i just can't i know I, I, I mean it's totally i, I totally I say? understand I, your I, excitement I'm... for this because it is uh from what i uh, checked it out too a really fantastic game and i love the visual and create visual style and creativity it reminds me of like uh evo caprino type like tim burton puppet yeah movie. exactly 
Um, maybe a bit of Rankin Bass in there too. But like, <laughs> I just love all the kind of subtle nods to, you know, classic video game design that's in here. Yeah, I mean, the thing I love the look of the original game, but it's you know, it's clear that with the extra resources, the higher geometry counts, you know, physically based materials, this kind of stuff, they're able to just do a lot more with it in a way that it's much more. I don't know. It, it it just really works well. Uh, and on top of that, you know, with the higher frame rate that helps too. I mean, the original was 30 FPS with slowdown on Xbox. And let's not talk about that. Oh, that awful PS2 conversion, which is just uh better left, you know, somewhere, <laughs> but the, you know, but really, you know, it's just, it's really cool to see this visual style and this continue and improve so much while also delivering more of what made the original great. And it feels really unique and special. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of all I wanted to say. Just wanted to talk a little bit about it because, yeah, Psychonauts 2, it rules. I hope uh, the game does well because uh, I haven't seen any indication of it selling well or not at this point in the recording at least. But uh, this is the type of game that I feel like the those who have played it really have like a great impression of it that really sits with you uh, it's you know kind of a modern day classic so i do hope that most people do, do get to uh check it out but every single time you've talked to me about it you just kind of talk about like the sensibilities of the game are uh, a bit older they're not like uh something we see in games usually these days for the most part in terms of like the direction and the, the level of humor and all these other things uh but it's also like marrying it with the new technology like you you were described just the other day to me how you know the original game it was doing its own thing at a time when technology was much more limited and now that art style that they developed back then is now brought to fruition in unreal engine 4 with like higher polygon counts more consistent shading and all these things and it just super elevates the experience so where the so when they do have like these psychedelic shows of colors and bending geometries and uh changes of perspective it's also much more fluid and uh much more convincing it just shows that the games as a medium can enable such interesting experiences but it's so wholly connected to technology at the same time where you don't really have that as much in film anymore uh at least nowadays uh maybe in the early days of film uh it was less uh there was more innovation constantly through technological change but now you know this is what the frontier that games has and things like this and vr are just like a part of that uh but let's go ahead and move on to our next topic then so it was awesome to see psychonauts 2 back but you know another series i would love to see come back breeding stud from konami that's right back in the 90s konami made three horse uh simulation games breeding stud breeding stud 2 and breeding stud 99 99 i just discovered them today uh i would like to see these just right now <laughs> while we record so that's all i have to say about that i want breeding stud 22 i want it bring it back konami come on with the latest roster updated with with, <laughs> with the latest roster i want everything in here so breeding stud 22 that's what we need next year but for now let's move on to the next topic uh we just talked about two series that i absolutely love i mean i've not played breeding stud yet but i know i'm a fan um but one series that <laughs> or that I used to love and no longer enjoy after the recent changes, but a lot of people do <sighs> Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It got a yeah. 60 frames per second patch. I don't care. <laughs> 
but (laughs) I'm not going to play it again. Uh, But, you know, I, I, but I will say this, I want to commend them for actually doing this kind of stuff because uh, I know a lot of people love the game and it, you know, I have to say it's a gorgeous game. Visually, it looks excellent. So having them update it to support 60 frames per second like this, that's, that's a really cool move. It's uh, it's an interesting one, I guess. I'm not also going to play it, I'm going to be honest with you, but uh, at least in terms of the technology that they're going to have to use, it actually makes sense to bring this up to 60 FPS because a game like this, presumably most of the time, is going to be GPU limited based upon what we saw. Uh, so uh, the last gen versions did have a dynamic resolution scaler and it works like reconst- reconstructs up, up to the uh, end uh, output resolution and i imagine this one is going to be one of those cases where the xbox one x version uh was like super high res back in the day uh and uh, the, the so like the you'll see like there's this resolution disparity essentially across the consoles you'll see like the xbox series x version probably having a really high resolution uh the ps5 version having a, a decidedly lower one but maybe performance is the differentiating factor between them because you know obviously uh backwards compatibility can only do so much and if the resolution is too high on series x like we've seen many times before maybe it can drop frames uh we saw that in skyrim so maybe it's the same thing here but I have yet to cover it. <laughs> Perhaps somebody here will look at it. Not me, mm-hmm. but uh, somebody mo- most Not most me. likely. Uh, I just I would love to see Assassin's Creed return to its roots someday. Um, One that's, day. That's really the main thing for me is you know this this shift to this gigantic open world. Uh, it really lost me, and it's a real shame because even though the older games they certainly had their flaws, there was a lot there that I did love, and I'm sad that it's. I feel like the hardware is finally there to take that original vision and push it really far in some really interesting ways. And I hope someday we actually get that. So smaller world with more granularity. Has the original been remade? No. And the original is very flawed, but very interesting. Just a couple more topics to talk about. So let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's cover those. This one is less tech news and more just kind of a, a unique situation, actually. Actually, this involves two people, actually. But first, I want to start with uh, Nagoshi-san from Sega. Uh, apparently, Bloomberg has reported that he is in talks to essentially leave Sega behind, where he's been for more than two decades, producing some amazing titles, uh, and join NetEase which is a Chinese sort of mobile focused free to play style company. Um, what do you, what do you make of this Audi? Well, this has been over a couple of years now with trend in Japan is that the Chinese influence on the video games industry has uh, broadened. And uh, I've saw some reactions to this being that, you know, Nagoshi Toshihiro was going to leave Sega for NetEase meant he was going to work on uh, mobile games, but actually NetEase, as well as other uh, mobile companies in China, have actually begun setting up studios in Japan locally that will focus on console games. So I'm not entirely surprised that they would go for him. You're not wrong about that. The problem is, or at least maybe you can correct me, have any of these Chinese companies produced console games that weren't based on some sort of free-to-play model? Uh, No. I mean, they probably haven't, but in this case, they're looking to enter the console market with traditional, at least based on their statements that I was reading, uh, these new studios are meant for what is, you know, traditional console gaming, not free to play. Uh, I'm not, a, like, for 
for him to move away and do something new, that could be potentially interesting if they actually allow allow that to happen. Uh, and it sounds like there is a chance of that. So this is a I uh, we've talked about this a little bit in the past on DF Direct actually in the sense that you know this kind of goes under um, acquisitions and such you know kind of uh, centralizing a lot of efforts into bigger conglomerates which um, never works out and uh, never should be done <laughs> uh, from my opinion. Uh, but with the Chinese uh, influence that's coming, uh, it's kind of interesting because Japan can't really compete with the amount of money that's being put on the table. So a lot of these creators um, don't really have many options. And at the same time, uh, it will be interesting to see just what sort of creative freedom will come with this uh, to say to tippy-toe around that, uh, say it like that. And uh, it, it could be a great thing. I mean, bigger budgets, uh, bigger scopes, uh, especially for someone like uh, Nagoshi. This seems like it would be a dream come true, right? Just uh, much more money to, to fill his vision. I'm not the biggest fan of Yakuza, personally, so I would definitely want to see how he could do with a bigger studio behind him. But uh, yeah, it's kind of at the same time a little bit alarming because these other companies, even the size of Sega, really just cannot compare to the money being thrown around here. And it makes me wonder what the future of video games in Japan will look like. Where the game industry is going in terms of actually making money is increasingly like not what I like. And maybe my old man moment has happened where it's just like, I don't think you're really being an old left man me behind. I mean, uh, you can look at the companies like Tencent. They're investing in every, basically every video game company possible. And, you know, we don't know what the extent of that's going to be in five years. You're looking at other bigger corporations uh, bringing big, many studios under its wing to uh, centralize things. And if, as I said on top of this, that never really works out. There's too many variables that come into play with all these different development houses, all this different talent. You can't centralize it. And uh, we've gone through this three times already in the industry from the US to Europe and Japan uh, individually where this has crashed. And I can guarantee you in 10 years time, we're going to see so many studios again be affected by this. So uh, I do hope that studios out there with offers still think about you know the options they have outside of being bought up and put into a family but he's not the only one that is leaving a well-established company is that right audi there's somebody else this week that we discovered about so and this was actually confirmed from the man himself and it has been rumored i actually have heard uh kind of that this was going to be happening uh okubo motohiro from bandai namco who was the uh, producer on like Tekken 7 recently, at least, and Pac Man 99. Uh, he's, you know, been pretty uh, good force there at Bandai Namco, but he's leaving and he again uh, is rumored to be joining uh, either NetEase or other companies it's, of similar fashion. This stuff is really so, concerning to me. Again, just like all this Chinese money coming in there, and I don't know what, what this means for mm -hmm. the games. The, the, I guess the thing to clarify is the reason that it concerns me, it's not, you know, it has nothing to do with the country specifically. It's more if you look at the types of games that are popular in the different regions. So if you look at what's popular in China, 
Uh, it is mostly mobile games. It is mostly free-to-play stuff, gotcha stuff, right? So any developer acquired to create something for the Chinese market is probably going to be that style of game. But at the same time, like you said, they could be serious about trying to capture another audience as well. This is much more about global market than uh, East Asian market. So um, I'm not too concerned in that sense. I don't think they're just going to like put, you know, Nagoshi on a gacha game and call it a day necessarily. But uh, it just has to do more with the future of creative uh, freedom that I'm looking at from this. Well, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But uh, for now, let's move on to the next topic. So the last piece of news, and it's a small little thing, I suppose, and little being the key word, because we're talking about portable games, namely Game Boy and Game Boy Color are rumored to be coming to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, this is according to the Nate the Hate podcast, which I have guested on a couple times now. It's a great, great show with Nate and, of course, MVG, who also a friend of a show here and has been with us uh, several times. Um, they basically raised the possibility of this happening uh, for the Switch Online service. And, you know, again, it's not a huge thing, but as a huge fan of Game Boy, I do think it's cool to see this stuff potentially arriving on Switch as well. Don't you think, Audi? Yeah, uh, this is, you know, I think this is big news because, first of all, the Switch Online service desperately needs more content uh, that is not NES or SNES. And this uh, Game Boy library is so strong. And with, you know, the Switch being a handheld hybrid, uh, this just makes all the sense in the world. Um, as much as I love Game Boy, though, the one system I kind of want to see return to a virtual console situation was the DS, because they tried that with the Wii U, right? And that's really a library that could be interesting and with the flip grip and whatnot. I was going to say, it's, oh. not, it's not an official peripheral, but flip grip would be so awesome for DS. The handhelds... Uh, really have so much untapped potential for this uh, and especially with switch it makes so much more sense um, so i do hope that the rumor from uh, nate to hate is uh, correct because i would definitely love to see more game boy stuff even though I, I mean the super nintendo selection for the switch online service has been kind of interesting there's been a lot of games i never expected to kind of be on there mm -hmm. uh, good or bad so the Game Boy, there's a lot of quirky games I love for it that I would love to see. But N Nintendo being Nintendo, I'm sure there's going to be that buffer zone of getting Super Mario Land, uh, Wario Land. And like, I mean, th those are good games, but they, they do have a history of doing that. But then again, the, the Switch Online stuff with the Super NES stuff has gotten increasingly bizarre at times. Fans of Bamboozle would be happy. Uh, yeah, why why not? <laughs> I wonder what the curation process is for know. Nintendo regarding I'd love to these know. games. I'd love to know that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Boy, and I would love to see stuff like Game Gear and stuff like that too. You know, the virtual console was so um you know grand. It had turbo graphics, it had, you know, Sega. So it it's really weird that they have not focused more on it. Uh because the Switch online service is really bare bones as it is. So this is such an easy win and, uh, you know, hopefully with the next switch, whenever that shows up, uh, this can be, you know, continued, not started over again. But yeah, so that's kind of, uh, all that we had to discuss in the news today. So let's flip it on over to a very brief discussion about DF content happening either now or soon. 
Yes, so this week on Digital Foundry, what has been happening, fellas? Uh, I guess we had that video from Tom and Alex looking at Little Nightmares 2 earlier in the week, which is a curious one. Yeah, this one uh, was curious because uh, the production behind it took a while for a good reason. Uh, the, the essential uh, information there is that the Xbox version was giving us visuals that we didn't expect based upon what was given in the press briefing and what we, the developers were telling us. Uh, the, essentially that the Xbox version did not show off ray trace reflections like we're used to seeing, uh, and it looked just like SSR. Uh, and the, the reason why this is uh, good to talk about is because I want people in the audience to understand why we do the things that we do. We don't just want to make a video when a game comes out and one version's poor and not let the developer know ahead of time that we're going to say that the version is poor and that they can work on things. We want to always give them a heads up about things they can fix uh, before the video comes out. And that's essentially what this was, where we uh, contacted the developers, Tom very specifically there, talked to them, uh, explained what he was seeing and what was happening. Uh, he got feedback on that, essentially, uh, and we, we brought out the video then, essentially, after that was already done. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure now that as a result of the video being out and as a result of Tom's reporting that the Xbox version is going to be changed at some point in time because it shipped in a way that it probably shouldn't have. Um, but that's, that, that's, that's essentially it. There isn't some sort of uh, conspiracy behind us uh, bringing out a video late like that to make one version look better or worse than the other. It's literally, Wait, did, we did, want the... Did people yes. actually think that? Yes, well, <laughs> we didn't want to put it out because we didn't want the Xbox version to look bad, John. Uh, that's people, why. These people suck, dude. That's so not why we do it. It's so stupid. Uh, so stupid. Like, Don't we, watch we, we've done this so we've done we've done this so many times for so many games that we don't even talk about officially. We've done it for so many games where we just wait a little bit on the video so the developer knows uh, about an issue we're going to report on. It helps no one to just like essentially do gotcha videos people love that stuff but no like no if, we don't if like that's doing what you want to do like go do it yourself because it's yeah it's... <laughs> we don't like doing that so yeah the reason why this came out a little bit later and the reason why it focused so much on that issue is because we thought it was a big issue and it should be changed uh but that's about it uh, i mean little cute little game hope i like uh, i like that game yeah i hope they uh you know create more content like that in the future that developer uh but it was good yeah. And I think Rich also has, or I think eventually there will be something on the new PlayStation 5 model. I know he has obtained that. He's doing testing on it. He wrote a piece on it, but there's more to come on that. Uh, I'm finishing up something on Sonic Colors, which should be interesting. So uh, that should be out sometime soon, whenever I can get that finished, because I just came back. I've been working, I mean, I did the HCD video, 60 FPS PS5. Uh, but another, I mean, that one's pretty self-explanatory. The videos, uh, it's such a quote unquote, I called it a simple patch in the video for the purpose of saying what it does for the end user is extremely simple. It's not, it's not like a huge difference for the end user other than the 60 FPS thing, but it wasn't simple necessarily from the development perspective, which is a different idea. Uh, I'm working on a couple of videos. Uh, I'm at this point finishing up no more heroes we haven't looked at a switch game in a while it's an unreal game on switch uh john joined me for that you say that all casually but this is your first attempt at doing one of these types of videos so i applaud yeah, which is cool. That's cool 
this is this is uh, nothing special uh and i mean it's so I'm special really just running footage through you're special through, so. <laughs> no uh, but it was fun i was helped uh, greatly by my colleagues here so uh leading on them uh, i also conducted an interview with wilbert roger which uh, i'm editing up as we speak uh, talking about his time at lucasarts uh, he was part of the last team at lucasarts until they closed down and then uh, went on to work on uh Call of Duty, World War Two, and uh, Mortal Kombat 11. So we get to talk about that. I guess I'm doing DF Retro stuff next week as well, so I'm happy to get back to that because uh, it's been a little it's a bit, bit late this week. It's, month, it's, it's late. You took a vacation. I actually took a break, kind of, and this is what happened. So it's really tough to keep up with everything coming out. There's too many games to cover right now, which is not a bad problem to have, I suppose. But it's more that there's a lot of stuff that I personally want to cover, and it's hard to get everything in. So. Uh, we will try our best. DF Retro, though, is going to be really cool. It's It'll a smaller be a fun one. one. It'll be fun, uh, But I really uh, enjoy the topic. So, And it's really one where you're, you know, and you're outshining. So it's a, it, it's a kind of like a fun throwback. Let's jump over to the Q&A because uh, we got some lovely questions from patrons this week. Uh, if you want to contribute, of course, and you check out uh, digitalfoundry.net and join us over on patreon and you too can tr contribute to the show hang out on the discord and all that good stuff it's fun uh -huh. and uh we're gonna kick off with question one this one comes from oliver mckenzie and he says over time i've come to appreciate the look of xbox 360 and playstation 3 games on non-native panels namely 768p 1080p and 4k there's something appealing about the blurriness and imprecision of 7th gen games, particularly games with advanced lighting and effects that can make them look more than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. Not sure it does. What? I'm not sure uh, this is... Uh, is this just nostalgia goggles, or is there something to this? I love my 4K games as well, but there's a special quality, I think, to PS360 era graphics that has its own merit. Uh, I, I don't know. This is an interesting I mean, one. I, I'm not a I think they can look fine uh when run on the right display, like a CRT or something like that, but uh non native, mid, that's the one that doesn't using them on like a, a non native L C D panel or something, that I hate the look of that. So yeah, I, I don't know what to it's think about. It's one of the hardest that. generations to go back to. Yeah. Um, it is rough. It is. It is rough. Like most of the games there, like John's talked about this so many times before, but they may be outputting quote unquote 720p, uh, but the game itself is probably lower res than that. And it doesn't have really good anti-aliasing. So you're getting like the blur from the upscale from the console and the blur from the upscale on your panel, probably on top of that. Uh, it's like one of those things where I don't, Oliver, bless you. Bless you, Oliver, that you like this, but I don't think I would. Yeah. When he says, is this just nostalgia goggles or something else? It's just nostalgia goggles, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> this one must be that. It's uh, a fascinating perspective. Bless though, you. I must say. Bless you, Oliver. I do love uh, I do love hooking a PS3 up to a CRT, though, I have to say. Yeah, that that's enjoyable. That's viable. The, the systems yeah. work well that way. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's move on to the next question. This one comes from Eric Benoit. He says, how do you gentlemen think the big three, Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony, feel about upscalers such as the OSSC and the RetroTINK 5X Pro? Do they view them as competition or just as a curiosity? I mean, why would I bestir myself to hit the refresh button a million times futilely on the Walmart or Best Buy websites when I can play Ape Escape 3 at 1440p? Thank you. You guys are wonderful. Uh, I don't think they care at all, and 
What, um, John? You don't think their market's no. being encroached on by the OSSC and Ape Escape 3 at 1440p? Well, I it, don't know. Well, the thing that. is, is he says Ape Escape 3 at 1440p, but it's not actually 1440p. It's just <laughs> no, upscaling. Exactly. What you, all these are doing is they're taking a lower res yeah. signal and making them look acceptable at a higher resolution, but it yeah. doesn't actually have any impact on the rendering resolution. And fundamentally, I mean, whether you're using an upscaler or not, you're still playing an older game and that's never, you know, I'm sure they would love you to buy their new stuff as well, but I don't think that they view upscalers as any competition. I would be surprised all. if they even knew about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I suspect that I mean, it, it really doesn't affect their market at all. Zero it's... impact on their market. There's such a, it's such a small niche. It's a niche within a niche. And, um, I'd imagine the people, only people aware of this stuff would be those that are also into it. Uh -huh. These companies. I would think that what may maybe Eric is kind of hinting at, though, is the market of remasters, uh, patch updates, stuff like this. But RetroThink is, especially for people like us, we don't generally use it on that generation anyway. It's more so, yeah, the market dent there will be so, so small. But um, if they are aware of it, I think they would think it's cool. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's probably right. So yeah, that's about it. Um, next one though. This one comes from Benjamin Addison. He says, "I am curious how Alex keeps up with the new and emergent technical aspects of game development. I get the impression that Alex works for DF full time now. So is that a hindrance in any way to appreciating how new tech impacts?" on gaming production pipelines. For example, Alex and John recently talked about the new techniques being implemented in Unreal Engine 5, such as Nanite. Does their understanding come from reading white papers and talking to developers? Or is there another way that you get to see how ray-traced sausage is made? Uh, so, yeah. How uh, does ray-traced sausage taste, Alex? I think it's delicious. It's delicious. It's delicious. Salty. Uh, salty. Uh, I like... The question, that's really nice. Yeah, I do work for full-time at DF now since 20... Well, I mean, uh, it's a little bit more complex, but I've been working full-time technically since 2019, mid-2019. Um, but the uh, I do... One thing that I have less time for since I work now full-time is that I would have less time to load up an engine like Unreal Engine 4 and play around with it and... Uh, you know, uh, test it out and things like that. I'd have less time for that because I have to like a workload to do. But I do have just as much time as I did before to read white papers and things like that, which are really easy to read, I think. And they're just like a really great way to get information, presentations. And now because I work at DF and I have a profile in the world of social media, that developers will want to talk to me instead of me begging them, essentially, <laughs> through DMs. So like, it is a little bit, it's a little bit different in that aspect. So I think I have a more rounded out appreciation of technology. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the way uh, we all kind of do it, is just reading papers, talking to developers, and fiddling around with engines uh, whenever you have the time to do it. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of what you do. You got to poke and prod and read and talk to people and kind of try your best to figure out what's going on from that. Uh, and that's, that's how it is. So cool. All right. Next one comes from hedonism bot. I love this name. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh boy. Get some great jelly and just smear it on your belly. Oh. <laughs> have there been any games that you've, had to play for the channel that have pleasantly surprised you, whether it's due to low expectations around the performance or simply because you weren't expecting to enjoy the game itself. 
Oh man, uh, what do you guys think? I probably wouldn't have played Tales of Arise much had I not done the performance test on a demo. And I actually ended up enjoying it enough that I played through the demo. So that was one. The other one would be uh, Returnal, which uh, I was kind of asked to uh, maybe capture for. So I sat down to play that. And uh, I absolutely loved Returnal. Uh, I really had fun with that. So mm -hmm. those would be my two. I feel like I'm at this state where I know too much about the games coming out. And just it's not just knowing too much. It's just everything. I kind of have a feeling of what it's going to be before it comes out. Just by looking at the media available. And like nine times out of ten, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. So that And that sucks. Because this feeling of surprise has all but vanished for me. Uh, and it has kind of, so it's less that I feel surprised by something and more that I feel disappointment more often. And that's a shame, uh, because I still enjoy plenty of games, but I don't ever really feel like there's something that came out of left field that I didn't expect to be good. We did that N64 stream, uh, or not stream, was DFR play, where we played, uh, aero gauge and i don't think either of us have played that and that's a situation where like we had to play it for a channel we had no expectations necessarily but we were pleasantly surprised oh yeah i guess i guess you're right if you count retro games like that then th that has happened before because that one just kind of came out of nowhere and it's like oh wow okay that's interesting audi just said returnal that's a game i wouldn't have played if i didn't have to cover it for the channel um where i was just like hey this is a quality game it has some really great concepts uh, and stuff like that. I'm going to probably wait to play it if another version comes out now because I just don't want to, you know, spend the time on it right now. I'm going to wait a little bit longer. And another game, though, I don't know. That one's hard. It is actually a pretty hard question. I would maybe even need more time to think about it of some games I've covered where I actually was genuinely surprised at the quality and didn't go into it with the, like these expectations John that's talking about already. Man, it's a hard this is, one. This is really tricky, actually, to think about. It's um, uh, a really fun question, I have to say. It is. It really, it is. really makes okay, you rack your brain a little bit. Okay, so, well, technically, I didn't have great expectations for the, the, for the Command & Conquer remaster, necessarily, because I've seen uh, remaster projects in the past, like uh, Warcraft 3 Reforged, which is terrible. I'm just looking at you uh, out there, Blizzard. It's terrible. Um, uh, so I had that kind of in my back of my head, and then I loaded it up, and I was just like overwhelmed with how good it is. Uh, so that's another one that was positive. But you know, I guess if I technically paid a bit more attention to the media coming out beforehand, I would have known it's going to be pretty okay. The closest thing I can think of, and it still doesn't really apply, is I remember when Doom 2016 first hit. I was very, I was very hyped for it, and we got the review code, and I, I played straight for some hours and i was even more impressed with what it what it ended up being i was like wow this is just incredible and then i went on uh the slack chat for Eurogamer just to see what was being talked about and i don't think most people hadn't actually played it yet and the general impression was that the game would be so uninteresting and so short that they weren't even sure that they would even want to write about it in the first place and i went in there like like no like this is this is phenomenal you guys have to have to look at this. And of course, once people actually did get their hands on it, there was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is actually legitimately great. But it wasn't, it was, there was some rumor from somewhere, I can't remember where it came out beforehand that the game was like two hours long and not very good. And I don't know where that came from, but it, there was basically like a lot of not super positive like buzz around it when it, before it launched. And 
you know, for me, I, I had kept the faith and it ended up more than delivering on that. That was a funny one from my perspective because that was a game where I thought it was, I liked what it was doing visually, but they kept showing off the game being played on a controller up until one month before launch. And I was so worried that the game was slow and uncumbered, like, cumbersome uh but then like a month before launch i think they showed off like the vulcan version of the game running on like an nvidia titan at some sort of thing i don't remember what it was but the game looked like so fast and amazing then like where they really showed it opening up and to become like the doom game that you used to that everyone's played now uh and so that's when i started actually getting pretty excited about it and then i played it and i thought it was just balls to the wall all yeah i mean this the situation around doom is really interesting because Everybody knew about the canceled Doom 4, whatever, that ended up not happening. Uh, the first showings, you know, there was some, there was buzz, but it wasn't clear yet. And somehow, I don't know, I just looked at it and I was like, I think this is going to be great. And I'm happy that it, that it turned out to be that way. But, you know, it's popular now, it's, it's succeeded. But I think at the time it was not a foregone conclusion that that was going to be the case, and yeah, so that that was a that was definitely mm -hmm. kind of surprising the way that played out, I guess. Yeah, it is. That's about it, though. But uh, anyway, let's let's move on. We have another question from Philip Forrest. It's sort of come to mind again with various PS5 upgraded games like uh, Ghost of Tsushima and Horizon Zero Dawn. Why do you think the anisotropic filtering levels are kept so low on consoles? I mean, on PC, 16x AF has been a negligible cost for arguably 15 plus years, if not longer. And it can provide a significant visual impact, especially on large scenes at high resolution. So why the heck is this still such a challenge so uncommon on consoles, especially on backwards compatible upgrades where it would be fairly simple and a where it would be a fairly simple and cheap upgrade with considerable visual benefit. I personally find just find its omission baffling at this point. It particularly feels weird when devs go to the effort of including high resolution textures, but then within a few feet of anything or at an angle, you visibly see things transition to a blurry mess. Just bizarre. Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I, I like talking about this one. I think in the in the in the past, obviously, there's a, the performance difference on console is something that even direct you know Digital Foundry has had quotes from developers. It is more expensive on console. We know that for a fact. But the thing is, we you should be asking the question is why do developers not prioritize taking that performance hit? Instead, they go for a performance hit for other things. And that's where I think you have a really good point there, Philip. I also don't understand it. I find it baffling. I think I would pay two to three frames per second and have less accurate, say, I don't know, depth of field, but instead have uh, good anisotropic filtering. Uh, so, yeah, so I don't know, Philip. I think on Xbox, 16XAF uh, is forced in backwards compatible titles. I just saw this recently with uh, another game that I was looking at where it's like, oh yeah, when it runs in BC mode, it actually do get 16 AF. So, Oh, it's Dead Space. We were talking about Dead Space. Yeah, and there's others What's as that? well. But so that, so that kind of exists. But you're right. I think for modern titles, though, like weirdly enough, in some cases we've heard is like they, they just didn't enable it or there is just, it's just the kind of thing that slips through and somehow, and I don't know how, it just gets missed. And it is it is bizarre. I agree with you, Philip. Yeah, Philip. Yeah. Where's the weird thing is I always wonder like, because there's there's these artists that make these textures 
and they they know what they look like but then they load up the game and they're like never seeing their textures like resolving right i always wonder if there's like a like a communication error between uh producers and artists or things like that on certain projects i don't know uh let's move on we have two more questions here first one comes from Alyssa mist as a person who hopes to someday get into video game journalism what advice would you give to someone like me how do i get started and on that note how did you all find yourself in the industry wow i think this is this is kind of a wild question because it kind of differs for everyone i mean i don't think any of us really sought out to do what we're doing now i mean i'm an it professional by profession like original profession but i guess i'm the one on the panel at least that i mean if rituals here you probably have a much better answer but uh i worked on video journalism uh many many years ago at like destructoid and other sites like this as well as writing writing for magazines uh, but this has changed so much over the years because now we don't have magazines, uh, at least not monthly. Uh, and then, of course, uh, websites such as Kotaku and Destructoid have kind of changed the way that they do content as well because people's um, attention spans have changed. So I think today the advice I would give you if you want to do video games journalism is that, uh, first of all, I would get probably some sort of uh well you find a game company nearby do some qa uh, get into a qa position for a little bit to just get the hang of what goes into creating and uh, working with video games uh, the engines the people that kind of stuff without having to do deep development uh, it's a great just to look in the glass door so to speak doing qa uh, and then video games journalism today as it is, is much more video based than it has ever been. So what I would do is uh, definitely get comfortable with a camera, uh, something that I had to work a lot on uh, joining this. And uh, just uh, speak to yourself in the mirror, get get situated with how you present uh, topics because a ramble uh, won't really work. Uh, so you have to kind of get concise. You have to time yourself. You have to kind of figure out, okay, how here's my topic, how long do I spend on this and how do I communicate it? So just talk to yourself as much as you can and get get the time that you talk to yourself down to a certain point where it feels, okay, this is natural. I didn't rush, but at the same time, I didn't overstay my welcome on this. And, uh, you know, getting comfortable is one thing. And also don't let yourself get burnt out or taken advantage of so when you do start sending pitches out be be very clear on who you are how you do things and how you want to be treated because it can be very easy to just accept whatever you want and uh you know to get into any industry especially video games it's like oh it's my dream i'll just do whatever you ask me to but never do this uh, always be who you are have your personality and have your limits because you're a much better journalist and you're a much better talent when you are confident in what you do and you don't let yourself be taken advantage of. And this goes for any industry. Uh, in terms of how we all got into the industry, though, I think this would have to be a topic for a new show we're doing, which is DF After Dark, which is basically an off-topic show for our premium backers. Uh, maybe that can be one of our first episodes is kind of talking about how we got into the end. Yeah, we'll have to do that. And that's a pretty good answer. That's a great one. I well, think. how did you uh, well uh, add to it, my friends? Uh, how did uh, you guys get uh, 
comfortable uh, Alex, doing this because none of you come from journalism. So uh, uh, I I came from like destructive and stuff technically. <laughs> so you guys I, came I get, from you know, I, other jobs. I think uh, in terms of, I mean, just to I could explain my situation, but I think to get to the like core of what Ellis is talking about here. Uh, my advice, based on my personal experience and what I've had to do and how I wasn't trained in this in any sense of the word, other than just the training that life gives you, would be to find a niche of things that you're interested in. And uh, you probably already have that, Alyssa. Uh, being a generalist is great, but having a real core passion for something very specific is another way to make your profile stand out. Uh, uh, so don't just be interested in video games per se, but be interested in certain types of games or certain types of experiences or certain aspects of the industry. Uh, and that will make you a much more interesting candidate in, in the face of all these other candidates that may be out there. That's really all I have to say. I don't know. I mean, you guys gave good advice for that. Uh, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know. I, I don't know how to quantify what. I yeah. do at this point see what we do is that we're basically just ourselves right yeah uh, we're also old at least me and john oh. uh, alex is a little bit more of a baby face but uh in any case it's about being natural and it's what so what alex is saying about seeking a niche uh yeah it's about that but it's also just about speaking from the heart basically so because passion trumps everything else so if you're passionate about something and if you know how to communicate your passion in a way that people respond to, that's what makes a great journalist in video games. So, um, yeah, feel natural, be natural, and just uh, find yourself and then you know, pitch out to uh, different websites and different YouTube channels, I guess. Uh, one last question from Jonathan Lee Poston. Uh, since John is a fan of Shenmue, I was wondering if he'd do an episode of Digital Foundry to bring attention to the fan-made project Shenmue, The Dragon, and The Phoenix Collection. Never heard of it. Uh, I have heard of that. The Unreal uh, conversion, right? Yeah, I I can't say one way or another, but I do like to look at that type of thing sometimes, so it's not impossible. But maybe. It'll be a live stream. <laughs> Just say Who maybe. Knows? Yeah, maybe yeah. it'll be a live stream. So yeah. yeah, I think that's uh, yeah more so an episode. We keep saying this so much, but like uh, some of these topics, like you know, conversion project like this, I would be so much more interested in having a live stream with the talent behind it, sitting there with us and talking about it, hi highlight it, uh, because going into a full production with editing and all this stuff, um, it it's a lot of time it's a lot of effort uh which is great of course for a project like this it's worth the effort but at the same time we can probably communicate the very same things in the live stream with the creators there to highlight uh, the work that they actually done uh but i think that's gonna do it for all of the questions all of the content gentlemen we've made it to the end of another one of these episodes uh there was some technical problems along the way but you probably won't see it in post because <laughs> an excellent editor on these there's yeah. almost a blooper reel so, yeah uh oh I, i'm uh -oh. not sure what we're gonna find in there but uh as always thanks for joining me on this one guys yeah oh, uh, of course it was awesome john and uh obviously hopefully we'll be back next week with the next episode of df direct weekly uh, i guess it's going to be episode 28 if you go by episodes, I always go by week because uh, that's right. It's easier. I don't know if Rich of. knows this, but there will be a year after this. 
and it will be very awkward <laughs> yeah. once we get to like episode <laughs> one thousand. But you know, all right, I, I hope we make it. But anyway, gentlemen, that's gonna do it for this one. So everybody, thanks for watching. I love horses, best of all the animals. I love horses.